Hey everyone, it's Joel here from the Shock Absorber and I'm very excited to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Now you might have noticed if you're watching this on video that I am not at the Third Space Studio as usual and that is because we are having a bit of a break over recording new content on the Shock Absorber just for the next few weeks though. Uh, in the meantime though, we are still releasing some Shock Absorber content for your willing and eager ears and that is because we are bringing you uh, some sections from the shock absorber conference which we held back in october 2021 and for this particular episode we are listening to or watching if you're so inclined to uh, Stu, who's telling us about uh, the shock absorber on his keynote address from that particular conference um, i'm very excited to actually listen to it again uh, he's got plenty of uh, i always learn lots from Stu, so there's always plenty to come from it i hope you enjoy it too and i'll see you afterwards i think um that was one of the the great things is not only did you feel uh, welcomed and loved, but you felt heard and opinions. Uh, we were able to talk about stuff and, and to share stuff. And, and not only, I guess, you know, there's one thing uh, having someone listen to you, but also taking, uh, the next thing is taking on board some of those things that you talk about, which is what, uh, what I think was what happened, which was really encouraging as a young person. Mm. It's good. And then you were able to take, obviously, those ideas you started thinking about with the Shock Absorber. And then when, as you said, in 2012, we planted Soul Revival mm -hmm. Church. And then we also had, in between that, you started talking about the theology, strategy, and practice, which is the theology is the why, mm -hmm. strategy is the how, and practice is the, what am I missing that one? What's that? It's the practice. The yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, it's how, do, how do we do discipleship and evangelism? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's time to to let you let rip on your keynote because I'm very excited to hear what you've got to say. Okay. Let's let's go for it, Stu. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I'd just like to say again, thank you for joining us. It's terrific to be here. Um, I thought I might start by just spending a couple of minutes just uh, bouncing off that question of Joel's earlier about when did we start thinking about some of these concepts. And I suppose uh, there, was, there was a song that was played on the radio back in the early 1990s when I was younger, and it was by a band called R.E.M., and the band uh, had a song called Losing My Religion, which was one of their top charting songs. And it was just ubiquitous there for a while. It was played on all the radio stations. Everyone had a copy of the album. And that, that song to me seemed to be really, really sad, but also really, really profound because it was almost like a lament for my generation, which is Generation X. And it was almost like a signpost saying this, that, that our generation was leaving the church. And that song, uh, Losing My Religion, kind of formed up um, part of my experience as well because I went to a local church, Guy Anglican Church, in the 1980s, and that was the era that I grew up. And during that time, as a young person in the church, I had about 30 or 40 of my friends who used to go along to church. But by the time everybody turned 18 and they had their own license and they could choose what they wanted to do on a Sunday, more and more of my friends had left the church. And in fact, so many of them went to the pub down at Cronulla that they used to call going down to the pub at Cronulla going to church on Sunday. So when people used to say, do you want to go to church on Sunday? They actually meant going to the pub, not going to actual okay. church. And so one of the profound things about that song is it seemed to sum up the fact that um, everyone was losing their religion. When I was young, uh, by the time I hit 18, I think I was actually the only one left in my peer group that was still at church. And so I suppose I started asking the question, what's going on and why is that happening? Why is this going on? Well, uh, back in the day, I read a book by a, a sociologist called Oldenburg, and he was talking about how people formed communities 
in cities. And he said that this book came out in the early 1990s. And in the book, he said, basically, once upon a time when people lived in, in villages, they used to live in the same place as they went to work and in the same place as they used to have community. So in a village, you'd have a house, presumably, and most of the cottage industries actually happened out of the houses. And then people in villages, particularly my ancestors from England, used to go to church together in the same village. So people used to live, work, and play in the same place. But Oldenburg made this really interesting observation in the early 90s that by the 1990s in cities, he observed that people had three places they lived. The first place they lived was in their houses and their homes. But the second place was that they would leave those homes to go to work somewhere, and that would be in a different place. And then the third thing was that they would actually go and have community time in a third place. And so I was reading that, thinking about it, and looking at the experience of my friends who had grown up in a church and they'd heard really faithful Bible teaching, but they were choosing to go to other third places to have community and not have community in their church. And so I started wondering, how could we actually address that problem? Now, there's another sociologist by the name of Ian Hussey, and he's quite helpful as he talks about how the church uh, interacts with culture, because Ian Hussey says that the church must once remember that the biblical writers not only embrace aspects of culture, but they also critique aspects of culture. So if you think about those two concepts, there's there's an opportunity for us to look at our culture and say, well, what does it look like? And what are the aspects of our culture that might actually not be uh, really helpful for us as Christians? And I think as I looked back in the early 1990s, I noticed that a lot of my friends were very individualistic. They were very consumeristic and they were quite transient. And Ian Hussey would say that Australians of that time were culturally very much like that. And so we started wondering as a group of youth leaders in the early days, my wife Lou and guy called Kent and a, a lady called Kylie, we, the four of us got together and started to think, look, a lot of the young people leaving the church, it seemed to be something that wasn't just happening at our church. It seemed to be replicated in other churches as well. And I would, you know, I would think in my observation, that trend seems to be continuing right up to today. But back in our day, we were thinking, well, what, what does the Bible have to say about this problem? How can we find something. Now, none of us have been to Bible college. We hadn't been trained formally. So we just started literally flicking through the Bible one night and we came across Matthew 22, 37 to 40. And in that, the Bible says that Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing? And I'll paraphrase by saying, Jesus said, the most important thing is that you love God with all your heart and you love your, your neighbor as yourself. So love God and love others. And later when he was asked, who is your neighbor? He actually unpacked that for everyone and said, basically, everyone is your neighbor, not just the people in your family, not just the people who are like you, not just the people that you find easy to talk to, but everybody. And it's interesting that as you look at um, that passage, Jesus is at once declaring this beautiful model of love, but he's also explaining how he's teaching us how to love. And the most beautiful expression of his uh, love was when he laid his life down for us and he loved us even before we loved him. And when Paul unpacks that in Romans, he has this beautiful explanation of that good news, that gospel message. And in Romans chapter 1 to 11, he unpacks the fact that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he actually died in our place, taking the punishment for our sin so that if we look to him in faith and turn to him in faith and repent of our sin, uh, we are forgiven and we're reconciled to God as a result of his death on the cross, and we're reconciled to each other. 
So all that remains for us is that we express that new reconciliation. And what's really interesting is in Romans 12 and following, Paul actually unpacks what does that look like in practice? And it's really interesting if we pause there for a moment and think about Romans 12, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and following, because he says there that in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your true worship. And then he goes to explain that as we think about the fact that Jesus died for us and sacrificed himself on the cross, that our natural response to that is obviously to accept that free gift of eternal life that comes to us through repentance and turning to Christ in faith, that we obviously will receive the Holy Spirit um, as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The Holy Spirit gives us a new spiritual nature and we're able to actually live like Jesus uh, commands us and we can live for not for ourselves but live for others so instead of in our context instead of being individualistic consumeristic and transient maybe we can flip that and instead of being like our culture in those things maybe we can be more countercultural. and instead of creating ministries that intuitively seek to look like what the world is doing so that we can help people to fit into the church maybe we need to be closed with christ as paul says in uh, elsewhere, but that we can actually become servant-hearted in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Instead of coming to church, just what what can I get from church? But actually come to serve. Uh, instead of looking at different churches and seeing which one sit, suits my needs better, uh, maybe I can stick in it at a church and help that church be a holistic family, uh, a body, as Paul goes on in Romans 12 to talk about. He talks about the fact that the way we express our living sacrifice uh, as our act of worship to God is that we be a part of a body. Instead of just being an individual, we're actually serving in a community. And we came to think right back then in the early days that instead of being transient, as many of our uh, contemporaries were moving around different churches uh, from time to time, it wasn't a bad thing to move churches, but what if we uh, located ourselves in our local church and attempted to have a low-key, long-term relational ministry and be present with young people. And so we thought about the Bible's teaching from Matthew 22, Romans 12, from other places as well. And we thought that in Romans 12, it says really interestingly that love must be sincere, that we really needed to put God first and learn how to do that. And so we thought, why don't we have a new approach to youth ministry? Instead of running a youth group to young people, uh, what if we were a family that young people could grow up into or an intergenerational peer group, as we used to talk about back then, an all-age, all-stage community? And when we thought about that, we thought, why don't we start a Saturday night reality where we could, we could slow things down, we could open the Bible and have a read and talk about that together, but we could also share a meal and just have some time together to do life together, as we used to call it. And so what was really dramatic about that was from the time we started that new approach, we grew from four young people in our youth group to over 500 at one stage, and we sustained a 20-year ministry. And 80% of the young people who came to that ministry were people who'd come from non-church backgrounds. So we found that quite to be an exciting experiment. And then uh, in 2011, 2012, uh, the bishop invited after Matt Redman and myself uh, resigned from Guy Anglican Church after 20 years, which was a terrific run, we were invited by the bishop after we uh, resigned to start a new church plant with our wives, Lauren and Lou. And so we came to think, what, what if we start a church? We've been invited to start a church. And I remember saying, I don't know how to do a church plant. What are we going to do? And I remember Adam Darvell, our, who's now a rector's warden, 
he said, we don't know how to plan a church, but we know how to do soul revival. Let's just do that. And so what we set out to do then was to be an intergenerational church. And again, that was started with a small group of people. Uh, Matt and myself led a team of 30 people in our launch team. And that, that group also grew over the next 10 years. And to this day, we're at, at time of recording, we're around 500 people who are in our church. And it's not all about the number of people who come along, but it is an exciting example that intergenerational ministry has provided us with some exciting outcomes with mission and discipleship. And so what I wanted to do this morning as we begin our day is just summarize what I think uh, is a helpful way of thinking about how we do our intergenerational ministry. And like we did right back in the 1990s, we start with our why, as Joel was saying. We start with our theology. And to be helpful to our congregation, we thought it might be good to have a phrase that summarizes the fact that Jesus has just done this um, wonderful thing by dying for us and rising from the dead, and it gives us a new life. And after all, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give you life to the full. So how do we capture that? And I remember when we sat around, uh, one day Matt and I were talking and we thought of this phrase, Jesus changes everything. And we thought that's a really cool phrase because not only did Jesus change everything when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, but he continues to change everything uh, one person at a time, one life at a time. And we felt like that was a permission-giving statement, that it meant that even though we've experienced certain expression of church, which may or may not have had super fruit in recent times, we can still continue to, to pray and to preach the gospel and to share our lives with one another so that we might uh, continue to partner with Christ as he builds his church, which he promises he's going to do right up until the time he comes again. So if our why is that Jesus changes everything, how do we put that into practice? Well, we came up with another phrase, which is if Jesus changes everything and we're going to partner with him as he do, does that, let's share the truth and love of Jesus person to person, generation to generation, culture to culture, place to place. And now we're also in this digital age, digital space to space. So the idea is that we pick up on that Matthew 22, uh, 37 to 40 vibe that our neighbor is, you know, when we're called on to love our neighbor, our neighbor is everybody. So person to person, we're going to share the truth and love of Jesus, but also generation to generation. So the way we're going to do that is through uh, a space that we can um, uh, you know, uh, provide for the community that not only do we have a formal service together, but maybe we can do some things around our formal service that gives the different generations a place to come together. And as we're going to focus on today, we think that sharing a meal is a very safe way for people to come together. So if we can provide a meal at either side of a gathering, that's going to allow us to provide a space where generations to come together. But not only generations, also cultures, people who might not have a lot in common, don't really know what to talk about. If we sit down and have a meal, we can share something over a meal. It's a lot easier to do that. And then also place to place that we think of our local churches as little expressions of the kingdom of God, but we are part of the whole kingdom of God. So we want to be a church amongst churches and share our resources, work out how we can help each other. And so that's also how we can uh, partner with Jesus as he changes everything. Uh, a little example of that was that um, one of the meals we've had um, after one of our events one day, and I have shared this story before, but it's a much-loved story of mine, we had what we called a Rello bash back in the youth group days. And a Rello bash, for those of you who haven't heard that phrase before, you might be too young to remember what that means or you might be uh, a bit older and never use that phrase, but Rellos in Australia are relatives 
and a bash is a party. So you put those two things together in the 90s and you have a Rello bash. So we had a Rello bash in the 90s where we asked everyone from church to come along to what we used to call a fellowship tea back in the day. And even though at Guy Anglican Church, we had a church that was based on different services for different ages, which is called the homogeneous unit principle, because the principle that comes from the church growth movement in the 70s was that, that maybe the best way to grow the church is to have a traditional service for the oldies, contemporary service for the families, and a contemporary youth service for the youth. That was running at our church while we were doing this intergenerational approach. But what we did was we supplemented that with this Rello bash. And once a term, we invited the whole church to come together and have a meal together. And at that meal, uh, we just let people mix and mingle and talk. And I was sitting down next to one of our 80-year-old elders at this Rello bash, and she had a plate of food on her uh, on a lap. I can still remember the plastic fork, and she had a little piece of chicken and a bit of salad. And she was sitting on the other side of her was sitting two teenage girls that are about 16 from the youth group. Now, no one was talking to each other. Everyone was just eating. But not that I was eavesdropping, but I could hear the conversation between the 16-year-old girls. And one of the girls was saying, uh, I think my life's ended. I've just broken up with my boyfriend. He doesn't want to be with me anymore. I don't know how I can go on. And her friend was like, oh, that's dreadful. And then the, the elder, the, our 80-year-old saint was sitting next to her. She turned to her and she said, oh, I know exactly how you feel. When I was young, my husband went off to World War II and he never came back. And this amazing little interaction happened. The 16-year-old turned to the 80-year-old and said, that is dreadful. I can't imagine how you could have survived that. And the 80-year-old lady said to her, it's okay, Jesus is good. I learned that Jesus is good. And then they started ministering to each other and the 16-year-old started ministering to the lady who was in her 80s. Now, they struck up a friendship after that and ended up becoming friends. And all that happened was they were sitting next to each other eating a meal. So when we started our church plant, the launch team, and Matt and I thought, wouldn't it be good if we could have a, a formal gathering? On a, We met on a Saturday night the first time. Uh, we subsequently have planted other services on other times, and we'll talk about that a bit later. But uh, on the Saturday night, we have a service, and then we have dinner afterwards. And I think it was my wife's Louise's idea that we actually get all the tables in trellises so that if you sit down with a couple of friends, you'd be necessarily sitting next to someone else on one side and someone else on the other side. And when you're sitting there talking to your friend, you might just easily turn to someone and say, oh, hi, I'm so-and-so. And because you've got something in your hand, you're eating, it's actually a bit easier to get over that awkwardness. So instead of standing around after church with a cup of tea and saying what you're going to do later on or whatever and catching up before you go home, you sat down, you sit down for a good amount of time and you share life with each other. And out of that experiment with our church plant, we've seen the same relational realities take place as we did between that 80-year-old and that 16-year-old in our youth group. And that's been really exciting. And I know some of you will be experimenting with dinners and meals already, and it might be great to hear some of your stories today because you may have experienced that too. So if the why of our church is our theology, Jesus changes everything. How is to share the truth and love of Jesus. What is our practice? Now, often Christians start with the practice and they say, well, oh, that church there seems to be doing this. I might try that to see if that works. But we found if you start with your why and then you think about how you're going to do that, it actually helps you to build a culture. Because if you just started dinner, for example, but you didn't have a culture of friendship and family that that dinner was coming out of, the dinner might actually not really fit with people's expectations. So if we're teaching people that to love 
God is to put him first and to love others is to let Jesus help us how to love people who are different to ourselves. That if we were to actually take on Paul's words in Romans 12 and live as living sacrifices, we might actually seek to serve each other and seek to embrace difference, not sameness. And as a result, instead of having different services that are set up for different ages, what we've been able to do in our church is to have a practice where all the generations come together. So even though we've now planted six different gatherings, we invite all cultures and all generations to come together for each of those meals. And one of the things we found is because people are practicing getting together in different generations, they're getting better at embracing difference in cultures as well. In the early days, we had really good friendships with our Aboriginal partners in Brewarana, Isaac and Eileen Gordon, and we became really good friends with them. And as uh, we went on, we actually learned that you could do a meal around a service as a church, not just as a youth ministry. And that's what gave us the idea for our church plant to have meals before or after each of our services. But what we found is that all cultures like to eat a meal. And so we can come together and have that in common when we're talking to each other. And it's a way of also learning about each other by sharing each other's food. And that's been helpful too. So the what the practice of our church is actually that we think that intergenerational ministry helps to grow our evangelism and discipleship ability. Not only do we just disciple one another in one generation, we also can disciple each other across different generations. It increases our evangelism opportunity because it gives us an opportunity to bring the people in our families and our friendship groups that are a different age to us with a different taste to come along to an all-age, all-stage gathering. And just to leave you with one story to finish on this morning before we break up into our groups, one of our gatherings, Yarrawarra, has taken this on board. There's about 25 to 30 people in our Yarrawarra, Yarrawarra gathering on a Sunday morning. And we have uh, bought ourselves a caravan as a church. And in the caravan, we've put a coffee machine. And Yarrawarra parked that coffee machine outside the, where they meet in a community hall down at Yarrawarra. And as people drive past, they see the coffee machine and there's a church there mingling outside. What we've effectively seen is that Yarrawarra congregation have taken their church outside and meeting outside for their gathering part, and they meet inside for the formal part. And what happens is people come past and say, oh, I might stop for a coffee and say hello. And the interaction with the community has just gone through the roof as a result of that. We get some weeks, maybe five to ten people stopping to have a coffee uh, from the coffee machine. So that that's sort of that practice looks different to some of our other gatherings where we might have meal inside, but it comes from the same why and the same how. And what we want to look at today to briefly say is that all our churches are going to be of different sizes. Some of them are going to be smaller, some of them are going to be larger. And that's why we have an array of these fun toys on the table um, that we're going to talk about today, because we've had a bit of fun with this idea that some of our gatherings are bigger and larger. The other thing is that all our gatherings are going to look different today in, in all the different churches we come from we're not arguing that everyone should look the same but um sitting in front of a combi van and having a combi van here uh you know a church that's a little bit bigger might have a few more structures than a smaller car like a beetle that's over there um even if you have a fantastic vehicle as a church representation here the yellow submarine from the beetles everything needs a shock absorber no matter what sort of um, vehicle you can see here, everything needs a shock absorber. Now, you might say, why does a submarine need a shock absorber? Well, a month ago, an American submarine hit an unidentified object in the South China Sea and nearly crashed it. And it probably <laughs> could have done with a shock absorber because it hit that thing. What I'm saying is no matter what shape your church is, um, 
it's really good that we try and bring our generations together to talk about how we might travel together uh, through time. So thanks for listening to that. And I might hand over to Tim as he takes us to our breakout rooms. Oh, Tim, and if I just jump in before Tim yeah, yeah. Uh, takes us to our breakout rooms, um, Stu, I think you did a really good job of summarizing what has been many, many years of investment and work <laughs> in trying to figure this stuff out. I just thought like maybe we could summarize it again. So yeah, the sure. theology, theology, strategy, and practice. Yep. So theology is why that's Jesus, Jesus changes everything. Mm-hmm. That's because what he did on the cross changes what everything that we do. The strategy is how we do that. Yeah. So we share the love of uh, Jesus, yep. person to person, generation to generation, culture to culture, place to space, place to place, and space to space now. That's the new one. Because we have spaces on the internet that we can do this sort of thing right. tonight. Doing that right yeah, now, yeah. yep. And then the third part of that is practice, which is how like, what you actually do regardless of where, I'm sorry, regardless of where you are. It mm. might be flexible. You can change it to however you mm. want and you can do different things. Joy, do you want to just throw it... Just expand on that story about Yarrawarra as an example of like being flexible in practice because we don't use the caravan, for example, at our gathering at Kirawee, but no. we do at Yarrawarra, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, at our Cronulla and Woolooware, uh, Yarrawarra one, sorry. Um, <laughs> confused. Uh, we, yeah, we have most of our meals are outdoors and uh, we, we start our time off outside for each of those two gatherings with the coffee uh, machine going in the caravan. And it just gives us an opportunity just to be out in the public and people see things going on. Everybody likes coffee. Uh, the caravan looks like a coffee machine, a uh, coffee van. Uh, a lot of people have asked you for a cafe, uh, which is always a great conversation to have. Because they want to pay you money, don't they? They do, they do. And we're going to work out uh, those sort of issues. But, um, but you know, by and large, people have, uh, in Yarrawarra, because we're in the morning, people are on their way to various places. We've even had people pop in on their way to their church just to grab a coffee and find out what's going on. And, That's nice. you know, so there's opportunity for us to bless our community as well as engage our community and get to know people um, in a way that, you know, we would want to go uh, door knocking is not a bad thing, but it can be a little bit overwhelming for some people. And so it's a little bit of a softer way to, yeah, just to put ourselves out there. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's a great example of the flexible practice because yep. we don't do that on a Saturday night. We do coffee if, if you want, when you come, come in on a Saturday night, but then we have the meal after. Yeah. Sometimes the meal is at a different time. So yeah, exactly right. So um, we are going to ask a couple of questions here. The first very important question, uh, this one comes from the Redmonds. Uh, guys, where are Wayne and Garth's shock absorbers? I think I could answer that one really quickly. Go ahead. I, I've actually been, Maddie. I've been searching for Wayne and Garth's car. I don't know if you've seen the movie Wayne's World, but they've got this little bubble car, this little blue one. Never found it yet. So if anyone can put me to something on the internet where you could buy it. <laughs> so I put them in situ, basically waiting for their ride. But uh, that's a really important part of the movie Wayne's World. And if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favour. It's got a fantastic scene in the car. They haven't started a <laughs> church plan yet, right? No, not yet. Getting ready. You can't really say that the cons have got much in the way of sort of shock absorbing in the meter. No, they don't. <laughs> not a lot, no. Excellent. Um, Gemma has raised her hand. Gemma, uh, I'm one of your biggest fans, um, but you want to give us a little bit of a – uh, just before you ask your question, just a short context. Where are you um, phoning in from today? Yeah, so, um, well, I'm at home in Shaw Harbour, but we, uh, I'm married to Matt and we go to Jamboree Anglican Church uh, where I'm the mother's minister. 
So um, we, yeah, love going there because it um, certainly has a very intergenerational feel, probably not as hardcore as Soul Revival yet, but I would like it to go that way. And, um, yeah, I, I wanted to ask what, um, what it actually looks like to engage young people in the planning um, and that um, cultural thinking that you do. Um, how does that actually play out in the way that you uh, make plans and, and um, sort of produce your services and things like that? What a, what a great question to start off with. It's a really good question. I think that's for you, Stu, but I think you yeah, can, yeah. I, I think that you have the informal and formal versions of the interaction. And I think if there's a few informal interactions between the generations and they can build a bit of a relational bank account with each other and start to get to know each other, you can build on that and have a formal interaction. And we like to call that a forum. So sometimes we call a forum where we, we invite people to come along if they'd like to. Uh, obviously, again, we have a feed and we have a meal and we all sit around and make it a relaxed atmosphere. It's really good if it can be in a lounge room or if it can't, just make it a fairly casual space. And then facilitate a conversation about the topic that you'd like interaction with the young people on and maybe key up a couple of the young people beforehand. So some of the ones that might be influencers or leaders amongst the young people to say, look, we really want to hear your voice. We're not just getting you together to tell you what to think. We're going to ask you to tell us what you think about this particular thing. And we've had some really, really um, uh, good forums. Some of them have been a bit hard. Some of them have been a bit messy and clumsy when people can sometimes get upset. Sometimes people can express emotion. But if there's been some of that bank account pre-existent, there's a sense where we love each other and we're a family. But then there also can be forums where we have a lot of fun and get excited about the future. So to keep that culture going, we have a planning day once a year, which is sort of like a really organized forum and we plan the future and give people breakout rooms and things like that. But then we've also had some forums around issues like same-sex marriage. And um, we, when that, that was an issue in our church, we had uh, one of the members of our church, Andrew Ford, gave a, uh, you know, a theological introduction. And then I gave, because uh, I've got a political science background, so I gave a uh, a bit of an overview of the, the gay rights movement going back to the 1960s so people could see what that movement was doing. And it was a really cool forum that we had. We had about 70 people there. And I remember quite a profound moment is when we finished the presentation, opened up for questions and discussion. One of the guys there was um, a guy from uh, an LGBTQ plus guy. And he said, oh, I just want to say to start off with, I just really enjoyed that presentation and you were so gracious to my community. I'm a bit worried about what I want to ask because I hope I'm as gracious to you as you just were to us. So that that sort of can frame, it, it's, it's all about de-emphasizing the expert. So instead of uh, me coming in saying, this is what you should think, this is like, well, let's, let's have a look at the conversation here and open it up. And of course I can, you know, input some of my thoughts, what I'm thinking but it was a great way of saying, look, no matter how you vote on this issue, you're welcome to be a part of this church and be a part of this conversation. So hopefully that's helpful, Gemma. I don't know if you've got any other question to that. Is that sort of close to what you were thinking? That's awesome. Thank you. I'm writing that down. De-emphasize the expert. Thank you, Stu. <laughs> Stu, we're talking about the commitments in that too. Yeah, we do a weekly uh, version of that for our young people where we, uh, a lot of young people today don't get, there's no experience of communal conversation anymore you might, might have a bible study where you do that but there's not very often you have in a society anymore we have 20 30 people sit around and have a conversation so we like to bring our young people up to get used to that and so we have a thing called commitments for the committed christians to come together and say 
yes, we are going to teach you the Bible, but we want to hear from you what you think on a weekly basis. So that means too when, so that's almost like, that's a really good question actually, Joel, because that's sort of like an in-between the formal and informal is this regular chance for them to just test the waters and build that bank account, go, yeah, it's safe here. I can disagree or I can agree. And and it, yeah, it builds a really nice sense of loyalty actually amongst the group. I don't know if you've listened to the podcast, Gemma, but um, in at the start of season one, uh, episode four and five, uh, those, um, about the commitments and also um, dealing with conflict, which mm. is the two things that, that we're kind of talking That's about. Helpful, so I think that'd be really yeah. cool. And we, we also had um, some of our youth come to our AGM yes, as mm. well and share on behalf of our youth community things they struggle with, which is a great opportunity for them to be heard. And mm. It was and, really good, actually. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> we asked them to come with an idea too. One of the 16-year-old uh, young ladies who came along said we should get alpacas and take them to um, – out on the street and introduce people to the alpaca and share the gospel with them. So we said, <laughs> why not? <laughs> at a festival or something, we said, okay, well, when, when COVID's over, we'll get an alpaca and we'll go. <laughs> we'll yeah, well, Joe's, Joe's working on looking like yeah, an alpaca um, there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, um, got any more questions there, Tim? Yeah, another great one coming in from Val. Uh, why do old people actually need young people to do that? Um, confronting with culture when the old people may be quite capable of doing engaging with culture themselves. Mm. I think that's true. I think young and old can engage with culture. That is, that is really true. I think in my experience, uh, though, I do find that it's helpful when I talk to my sons about some of the things that are happening that I might not have quite got onto yet. So it's not about replacing old pe- older people like uh, us or saying we can't react to culture. It's just about inviting young people to share what they're good at in the church and you know my son elijah was watching some tv show the other day called squid games and i'd never heard of it before and it has only just come out and and it was pretty violent it was like boom 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 i mean my son's 17 so he was you know age appropriate for the show or whatever but it was like a bit confronting for me and i'm like what's going on with that and i said to him what are they trying to do and he's telling me all this cultural stuff around it and i didn't have any clue i could have done that i could have gone on watched it read the internet I'm really capable of doing that, but it was really nice to see him feel really good about our relationship that I was interested. He was able to share. So I created a space for him to feel safe to contribute to the church. So it's definitely not saying that we need to remove the cultural insights of older people away from the church. It's about having a conversation together and including young people a little bit more. That's yeah. So that's a really good point Val. like uh, older people can and do have really good opportunity at adjusting to cultural change too. And I think too, um, we're doing a few little uh, projects around our house at the moment and one of my kids wanted to help and, uh, you know, trying to, you know, hammer in a nail they were not particularly good at. And I could have done it quicker and got it over and done with, Mm. but letting them do it and learn and the conversations that we had as Mm. we did it together uh, were just priceless mm. and it, and it's good isn't it because they're learning how to interact with the theory behind as well and the, a lot of young people don't think necessarily theologically when they're thinking about culture mm. so if we let them share with us about what they're thinking culturally and we actually can show how the bible's relevant to their their generation that you see the eyes widen and go wow i had no idea that the bible would have something to say about squid games or mm. 
yeah, that's so that's kind of the vibe. Yeah, it's yeah. that two way relationship yeah, building. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. That um, we I'm going to keep plugging the podcast, guys. Just if you haven't listened to it, but the latest episode of that podcast, which is at the end of season three, is actually we talk about Squid Game and engaging. And, and Eli talks. You talk a lot about how Eli's like, uh, what what's wrong with the violence, Dad? And you're like, well, this is why it's the people made in the image of God, which is which is cool. Let's go, Tim. Another you got another one. Uh, I don't at the moment, so I just kind of open up to the floor. Um, I'm thinking particularly the second question we asked you, what's one thing you'd like to have a go at implementing in your context? It'd be great to hear from uh, a number of people just as you think about this, um, and even from uh, if you are from Soul Revival Church who is seeking to be based on these principles, but you can see other opportunities to do the shock absorber, or um, if, if you're from another local context, it'd be great to ha- think how you're hearing this and what you'd like to do. Would anyone like to speak from the floor? I can speak to our context. Yes, please. Thanks, Dan. Go for it. Um, so for us, I think, um, so I'm Dan. I'm used to, I was at Sorrowell for seven years and then left uh, two years ago to become the assistant minister at Riverwood Punchbowl Anglican Church. We miss you, mate. I miss you all very much. And this is my wife, Renee. Here she is. Miss you guys. Um, in our context, as we think about the shock absorber, probably our, our issue um, is we haven't really got a good quorum of young people who can speak culture into our context and help the old people to understand. I shouldn't say the old people, the, the, the generations of um, greater vintage. Um, Great. That's, that's really good. It's like my car, Dan, like behind you, this old girl. Look at this one. Um, we don't really have that quorum of young people to, to have that conversation. So um, we're, we're growing it slowly. But I guess, um, uh, I don't know if, you, if anyone has any ideas about, um, I suppose we're kind of advocating for youngness on behalf of possible future young people that might come to the church. Um, but I think that's a bit of a hard conversation to have. And so um, uh, I'm not really sure what, what our, what our way to um, our way is to help our, our people of a greater, a greater vintage to, um, to, to be uh, open to, to a helpful degree to some of those changes that we might want to make to the aesthetics of the space or to um, the ways that we're doing services in a way that we know that young people might respond better to when they do come um, without actually having those young people to bounce those conversations off of. Have you, Dan, I'm just wondering, have you tried doing anything so far? Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, Sorry. I'm just wondering, what, what, have, what, what, uh, what uh, initiatives have you put forward? Um, so we, when we arrived, we probably would have said that we had four young adults at our church um, and uh, maybe 11 youth um, and uh just COVID, COVID smashed our youth. So our youth's down to probably five now. Mm. Um, but our young adults have grown through the pandemic. So that's a really great blessing. So um, we realised just before our baby came, this is Evely, by the way. Evely, um, lovely. Uh, we realised just before um, the baby came that those four young adults had become 11. And so um, really we were just at the very beginning of thinking, well, how can we start to help these people to feel like a community of friends? How can we help these people to um, start to think in terms of hospitality and in terms of sharing life together beyond Sunday? Our church as well, is there's just not really a culture at all of hospitality outside of the formal time on a Sunday. Mm. And so we're trying to think through as well how we can 
um, help to create that culture uh, at church. Um, we're just starting to think through meals. Um, so we, we think maybe maybe weekly meals would be a bit much for us, but maybe once a month might be our starting point. Um, we've tried a couple of meals. Cool. Yeah, Dan, that's a really cool thing. In our group, uh, James might want to comment on this, but James was came up with an idea for the, their church about maybe doing a Saturday night meal and inviting family and friends to that Saturday night meal and just enjoying that maybe. Mm. James, did you want to comment on that or would you like me to keep sharing that? Yeah, over to you. I'll just um, make a point that um, um, we have we have organised meals once a month uh, across the church and we've got a, a little ministry group that's devoted to that. We have um, six to eight people appointed um, to a host and the hosts offer to take that amount. And um, it's been marvellous. Uh, people have just raved about it. Um, I'll, I'll let, I'll let um, Stu talk about the, the Saturday night idea because uh, we, we haven't done that at all, but um, he thought it was possible. So over to you, Stu. Yeah, two things I was thinking is working on both ends of the idea at the same time, that uh, first of all, with the existing community, uh, helping that to become more of a big friendship group, big family by doing things together, uh, deconstructing a bit so you do it a bit differently to what people are used to, um, but build a bridge to a new reality. Don't stop doing what you are doing to do the new thing so that if the new thing doesn't work, you can come back to what you were doing. Saturday night thing can be really quick and easy. That you can It's a party night. People can come together for a party every now and again and you can ask some friends. The other thing you could do is if you did a Saturday night, Dan, you could ask some of us to cruise over uh, and join in and just get to know each other too as friends on that Saturday night event. And that's pretty not threatening. And that leads to the second part, which is um, aspirationally be thinking, how can I how can I be seeking to reach out to other people? Now, if, if there's not a lot of young people, what we've tried once before was uh, when I first started out in youth ministry, I had a friend, Chris Hudson, who was at Menai Anglican, and they didn't have any young people in their youth group. And we said, but with two Anglican churches, could we possibly do stuff together every now and again so that we could, um, uh, and we did a thing called the Josiah Festival. And Matt and Jai, I remember, were very crucial in setting that up. I I remember the shenanigans those two boys got up to as they set that up was quite humorous. And, and, you know, together our church leaderships, the two groups of leaders had a lot of fun just putting together a festival. And the thing that occurs to me is we're all churches amongst churches. Maybe if there are some of our churches here today that could do with some more young people, if there was a Saturday night that was done as a local church that was doing it every now and again, but every now and again, we started some kind of more of a network thing where some young people from other churches could come along to that Saturday night. And then, you know, if some grandparents asked their grandkids to come along that night, they'd meet other Christian kids from other churches that would help create a critical mass because people make a party right so if there's people of different generations maybe we could organize something between our two churches dan where just as a one-off we tried it as a bit of a pilot and we could see what what goes from there but we yeah we did that with the treehouse and then menai anglicans youth group got off its feet and they got running i think they ended up being bigger than us in the end i think yeah i think think it's um that's really helpful because um i have had that uh, quite a similar thought recently and there's just a number of churches with struggling youth groups in our area and uh, and all those churches are, are, are struggling to some degree to pay a youth minister struggling to find young people to run a youth ministry and you just got to think well maybe there's a way that they can maybe pull some of those resources and pull some of those those leaders in a way that that makes that critical party mass like you say 
And that's true for us as a church too, because we have six different gatherings in our church and some of them don't have a lot of youth in the gatherings. And so we started a thing last year called Commitment Helpers, which is you might go to Saturday night, but why not go along to Cronulla Soul Revival and just go along for the party on Saturday night? Uh, Cronulla had about 20 or 30 people meeting, meeting in Woolaware School but then when we went, Cronulla Anglican were lovely and said that we could meet in their church. And so we went along there and we said to people from all our gatherings, if you want to go along once a month or something, go along and we'd have a dinner there and people were, were there. And some people started going regularly as a result of that. And some people started asking friends. So I think when people are excited about something, then they just naturally ask their friends to go to it. I don't know if you've noticed that, but that's sort of the idea of this intergenerational thing, that people start really enjoying the Saturday night, even if it's once a term. And, you know, you really know you're nailing it when someone goes, oh, do you want to come around our place next week? Oh, yeah, our church is having a sa- our Saturday night this week. I can't miss that. It's really fun. Hey, why don't you come as well? <laughs> People go, oh, okay, that sounds interesting. Um, we just bought a smoker barbecue in the oh, hope no. that might help things Good, along. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know if everyone knows much about a smoker barbecue, but that's starting to get me thinking I might come, Renee. Yeah, I'm getting hungry. Good, 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 good. Um, talking about meals, I think there's a really good way to segue. That's going to be a way to segue into our next session. So thank you so much for everyone getting online. We appreciate you. You know, sometimes it's a little bit hard in a group of people you don't know to actually get in front of everyone and, and talk about your situation. So that was awesome. So thanks to James and um, Dan and Gemma. That was awesome. Um, yeah, our next session is going to be on hospitality. We're going to look at our hospitality team. Um, when we come back, we're going to have a quick break. For five minutes. When we come back, uh, Paul Tate from Soul Revival Church, one of our other pastors, is going to join us. We're going to go through that, watch a couple of videos with our service coordinators, and then talk about um, how important having a meal is to intergenerational ministry. Hey guys, it's Joel again. Thank you so much for listening and or watching the Shock But As usual, we really appreciate it. If you have any feedback from what you've um, heard Stu talk about today, on in particular on the actual Shock Absorber principles or the things that we've learned, um, we'd love you to get in touch with us. You can email me at joel at shogazorba.com.au. You can put some comments in the um, chat on YouTube. You can jump on our Discord server where we are trying to get lots of people to get involved in talking about this particular way of doing church. Um, we love Intergenerational Ministry Church if you haven't picked up on that already. Uh, but if you even just want to keep listening, we'd love if you subscribe to the Sorrow Bible Church channel. You'll always get... Uh, the shock was always released every Monday, so check that out. Or there's always, as usual, on your favorite podcast app. But thanks very much for listening. Catch you next week.